it feels like I'm doing my 50%. My partner isn't. And how do I help my adult child with failure to launch? What's up, you guys? Welcome to the Therapy Brothers Podcast. I'm Brandon. I'm Tyler. We're brothers. We're therapists. We're not afraid of your questions. So bring it. All right, you guys. Welcome. We go some really good questions today. I am Tyler, your wandering therapist. I am one of the brothers. Brandon is gone this week. He and I have decided with the holidays, trying to juggle everything, we weren't going to be able to squeeze in the normal times that we're able to do because of travel and family and things. So I'm going to be taking the episode this week and Brandon will be taking the episode next week. And I'm just excited to be with you. I, I hope that you guys are primed to be having a good holiday season. By the time you've heard this, it will have been Christmas and I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Uh, we've got New Year's resolutions right around the corner and we ought to probably talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions too. And maybe we will cover those in an upcoming podcast as well. I know a lot of us set goals and then if you're like most of the rest of the world, we end up two or weeks or a month into those goals somehow having failed at a little piece of them. And so we give them up and then we just wait for the next new year and say, we'll start over again. And uh, maybe there's some different things that we could do to set better goals that are more sustainable that can allow us to have growth and change throughout the entire year. And I hope that you guys are setting those and looking at continually growing into and changing as uh, as part of the process of life and embracing that. So before we jump into our questions today, I'm just going to share, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a little brief piece of a review here. This comes from a caller who has been on our show and just wanted to give a shout out to those who call in. I know that it takes a lot of courage to do that. For those who've been listening to the show, I think you'd probably agree that when we have callers bringing their real stuff in real life, it seems to add a whole extra depth of dimension to our, to the show. And this was just some feedback that we received. It says, I want to say thank you for giving me the chance to visit with you. It was a fun experience. It also provided a chance for me to speak out loud how serious I am about my changes. The Patrick brothers are kind and gracious hosts. I appreciate all of the help and guidance along the way. Thank you. That's a great review. We're glad that you had the courage to come on and share with us. Uh, I know we've already had feedback from the things that you've shared from other people who listen to the show, who have expressed gratitude for your question, for your willingness, for your presence. Uh, so, so thank you for, for those reviews, you guys. Um, I'm going to kind of throw out a shameless plug here before we get into the questions. We sat down as a team just before we started the podcast and made some goals. And our goal for the end of the year was to have so many followers. And right now we are 12 people away from that goal. So if you're not following if you haven't subscribed in whatever channels you're listening to us on and you feel like you're getting a benefit, um, we'd love it if you would like, subscribe, uh, follow, whatever, share. Uh, we're, we're really close to hitting our personal goals. And so if there's some way that you'd like to help us, that would be a really helpful way for us to kind of at least feel good about ourselves in achieving our goals since I was just talking about goals for a second there. Um, let's jump into the questions, you guys. The first question here I think is a really good question. It says... We know that our significant other is not responsible for our happiness, our choices, et cetera. 
what are some healthy things we're responsible for in a relationship? And so I think what I hear behind that question is that, you know, when I'm sitting in my office with couples that I'm working with, one of the, one of the main things that I hear all the time is, is that one or the other of partners will come in and they'll say, Hey, look, I'm doing my 50%. I, I don't see my partner doing their 50%. And unless they start to toe the line, you know, I don't know what to do. Like, and, and then there's this frustration and it's based off of this idea. I think that we get into marriage and we kind of look at it in many different ways. We look at it for at first because we're usually Twitter pated and we fall in love in the Disney sense. And it feels like it's going to be wonderful and blissful forever. And the, and the facts and the studies actually show that we have brain chemistry that makes us light up like we're high on cocaine for up to seven years before those things start to wash out. But usually in the first two to three, up to seven years, the brain chemical starts to slow down. And that's when you hear couples say, you know, that's why you call it the seven year itch. We fell out of love, or I don't know what happened. We're just, we've just grown apart. And what couples misunderstand is that they came into marriage with that Disney perspective of you fall in love and live happily ever after. And you meet a partner who completes you and all of that stuff. And then when it doesn't actually play out, we feel like we've been cheated or that the person that we're with is the wrong person. When in reality, what's actually happened is, is that we've been fed a story that is actually pretty false in the sense that most marriages don't blissfully live on happily ever after. In fact, most marriages include hills and valleys. They include a lot of work and they include a transformation in the way that we see love over time. And so today I want to just spend some time talking with you about that, those ideas and some of those transformations that happen, some of the views that we may have on love and on our partnerships and, and on what marriage is and what it should be. And, uh, and maybe these things will be some ideas that will be helpful in reframing the way you view your own relationships. There might be some tools and skills here that could be helpful for you. And, uh, and hopefully that'll be a good thing for us to talk about. So yeah, we, most of us also view our marriages as some type of a business transaction. We can't help, but look at them that way, you know? And so maybe I go to work and I spend 12 hours at work. Maybe my wife has a part-time job and then she comes home and then in my mind, I'm thinking I'm working 12 hours a day. And so she can come home and she can fill in the gaps at home because we both be working the equivalent or the same shift or whatever. And if I view my life and my relationship that way, that's normal. I think that's natural. Most of us would view it that way, but I would submit that we're probably setting ourselves up for failure because now I'm going to come home after a long day's work on my 12 hours and if I start looking around the house after my wife has done her part-time job and I've expected her to do another, you know, four to six hours at home of cleaning the house or making, doing meal prep or taking care of the kids things or getting them to soccer, whatever it is, there's, that's a never ending list that I'm always going to be able to find something to be critical for. And she's always going to feel like she's under the gun. I'm going to be resentful. She's going to get resentful. And if we view things as a business transaction, then it doesn't work very well. And that's where a lot of the couples that I see come in at. It's, 
you know, my partner's not doing X, Y, and Z, or they can't see how hard I'm working and they're not doing the same kind of work that I am. And we almost get in this like standoff. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that Dr. Seuss book where there's the two, there's a North going bear and the South going bear. And they come to a crossroads where, where they're both needing to continue to go North and South, but because neither of them will budge from their current line, they end up standing there and growing old and end up never making any progress. When in reality, all it would take is for one or both of them to take a small, small step to the side and continue to follow on their course. And so one of the things that I talk about with the couples that I work with is, is that we need to move away from this idea that relationships are a 50-50 split. They're not. The best relationships are where you have people who come into it with the idea that it's 100-100. And I'm going to focus on my 100% and I'm not going to judge my partner until I've achieved my full 100%. And so I'm going to stay fully committed. I'm going to ask how I can help things go right. I'm going to constantly be working on how to help things go right in the relationship, which includes speaking the truth and setting boundaries and sharing your feelings, but then getting busy on what I need to do to focus on helping things go right. Now, that sounds unfair in some ways. You know, what if I have a partner, you know, I'll give you an example of a a relationship where um, a couple comes into my office and let's say the husband has been unemployed for a long time, several years, and he hasn't kind of been in and out of little jobs, but hasn't been able to hold down a job. And so the wife has gone to work and then she happens to also fall victim to something that happens with a lot of couples, which is that for some reason the woman ends up pulling what we call the second shift. And what the second shift is, is that if you have two working people, statistics show that if you had two full-time working people in a, in a couple and, and who have kids, more often than not, the woman takes the brunt of the work after the day jobs are over. She ends up working the second shift a lot more and carrying a lot more of the load than the husband does often. This isn't always the case, but that's just what the statistics show, right? So then what happens is, is now I've got a couple in my office where the wife is feeling overburdened. She's feeling just strained. She's working now. She's still pulling the second shift. Her husband honestly probably isn't pulling all of his weight. And so she has a, a, like a legitimate claim to say, Hey, I'm doing all the work. Like you're not doing anything. The, The challenge to that is if it stays there, it's only going to breed resentment. It's only going to breed struggle. It's only going to breed more pain and suffering because nothing's likely to change. And so when I'm talking about the hundred hundred concept is, is that this wife now who's in my office and saying, I'm doing it all and he's not doing anything. And I'm really, really frustrated. Okay. Your frustrations are valid, but now what is your hundred? What, what are the things inside your hundred percent to help things go right? And of course she can work on things like changing how she thinks about it. Or the bigger issue here that I think most people who are listening would say she needs to set boundaries. Okay, then what are those boundaries? And again, under the context of how am I going to help things go right? Not to be vindictive, not to punish, but that's part of my 100%. And so if I'm unwilling to go and do the work of what reality demands in setting those boundaries, then I'm going to continue to stay resentful and miserable. Whereas if I go and say, okay, well, I don't know how they're going to respond, but I'm going to do the best I can. And the best I can do is live by these principles of truth and follow my values and set these boundaries. And 
in a sense, when I do that and I focus on staying in my own lane, I'm becoming the very best person I can be, husband, wife, spouse, mother, father, whatever it is. That's how I'm most likely to, number one, know that I can look myself in the mirror at night and like what I see because I've done my best. I put whatever was in the tank out in a good, healthy way and things that I have control over. Number two, it helps me reduce my resentment because in doing my 100%, that's the best way that I can invite change in my partner. My 100% with the focus on me becoming my best self is the best way of inviting change in somebody else. I know that that sounds backwards, but think about it. When I go and change and disrupt whatever patterns I've been living in by doing my part to disrupt that pattern, I naturally invite a change in the whole system because the other part of the system can't continue to function at the same level it did if I'm changing. It's either going to come along and it's going to make its own changes or something's going to break. And when things break, it's painful and it's hard, but breaking is also a catalyst for change. So am I doing my 100%? That's the question. So when I start resenting my wife, she's not doing this or she's not doing that or, you know, we should have more sex or, you know, she spends too much money or whatever it is. It's like, wait a second. What about me? Like, what am I doing? Am I doing everything in my power to be the best possible spouse I can be? And that puts power back in your court. You no longer have to be powerless to the situation or to your spouse having to move or do their part. You have the ability to continue to make choices and it keeps the power of choice in your court. So um, maybe just a different way to think about in your relationship. When you find yourself in a relationship where you're not liking what's happening, there's a few things that you can look at there. You always have four options. I mean, I think we mentioned this before in other podcasts, but you have four options here. So the first one is, is to ask, is there some way that I can change it? And if the answer is yes, then of course, you're probably going to want to try to do what you can to change it, right? Sometimes the answer will be no. And so it moves down to the second option, which is, can I change how I feel about it or how I see it? Could I view it in a different light that allows me to feel differently about it, which will instantly decrease my suffering and thereby be more effective for me in the long run. And just changing perspective can be sometimes really, really helpful. So sometimes we take things personal and say, you know what, like maybe I leave the toilet seat up (laughs) in my relationship and that just like infuriates my wife. And so the next time I go and use the restroom and I leave the toilet seat up and then 10 minutes later, she walks into the bathroom and she sees the toilet seats up in her mind. She has a story that's like, Tyler just did that to piss me off. Tyler just did that to make me mad. Well, I don't, I didn't do that to make her mad, but because of the story she's entertaining, she's going to suffer more. She's going to experience more resentment. She's going to feel more judgment. She's going to feel more anger. Her day is going to be worse because she's entertained that story. Whereas if she were to view it differently and say, oh man, Tyler's so forgetful, that really bugs me, but it wasn't personal. He's not trying to out to get me. He's not like trying to make me upset or get under my skin. He just forgot. She's still going to build some level of frustration, but she'll suffer far less because the story is different. And so can I change how I feel about it? The third thing, if I can't change how I feel about it, the way to decrease suffering is to accept it. 
can I accept it for what it is? You know, I've, I've got four daughters in my house. And when you've got four daughters and a wife with long hair, there's a tendency for drains to get clogged pretty quickly. There's a tendency for the vacuum to get rolled up with hair in a matter of like two and a half minutes. You know, it's just the way it works when you've got four daughters running around the house. And I can either be really, really frustrated by that and, you know, threaten to go have all my daughters shave buzz cuts under their heads. Or I can just accept that it's the way it is. I know that I'm going to be going through vacuum parts a little more often and I'm going to be unclogging some drains here and there once in a while. Um, because that's just the way it is. <clears throat> that's just what comes with the territory in the situation that I'm at with the family structure that I have. And that could be true for just about anything. You know, maybe there's certain personality traits that you have about your partner. Are you going to be the one to change your partner's personality traits? The answer to that is likely no, that's not the case. It's, it's actually pretty unlikely. And the more that you head on chisel away at it, the more likely you are to invite more disconnection in the relationship oftentimes, because people who have personality traits that they don't like feel vulnerable about those things and they get defensive when they get exposed. And so the more that you openly expose them, especially in kind of a, a hard way, you're likely to get somebody who's going to root in and you're going to get that pride back that doesn't happen very well. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about this idea of relationship and a, and a different way to view relationships other than the Disney form of love where, you know, you met each other, you know, I met my wife in college and she was totally out of my league. I know she was, she still is to this day in a certain sense, like she was just amazing. And, and I kind of, fell for her a lot faster than she fell for me. And I could not see anything wrong with her. She was beautiful. She was smart. She was intelligent. She was amazing. Like I, I just want to spend all my time with her. And luckily over time, somehow I tricked her into feeling the same way about me enough to, that we, we ended up getting married and, you know, then things happen. And after you get married, it's not like things stay blissful for that long, especially when you start bringing kids into the equation and you have work and you have school and you're poor and you don't have a lot of resources and there's stress that comes in. And pretty soon you wake up one day and go, wow, like I'm not necessarily seeing the princess that I thought I did. And she's waking up going, geez, who, who did I marry? Right. Uh, I had some really good advice sort of come to me through a church leader when we were very first getting ready to get married, because I was in this blissful state and we went in and we talked to a church leader, just kind of the, the pre-marriage sort of meeting with your church leader. And we were sitting and talking there and he likened it to sort of this like overall plan, like the whole biblical plan. And he said, I want you guys to view your marriage a little bit differently than maybe you are currently viewing it. And he said, I'd like for you to view it in the context of what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he said, Adam and Eve were placed in the garden in this like beautiful, blissful place where there wasn't any disease. There wasn't any problems. They were invited to be able to kind of just take care of the garden and partake of anything that was in the garden, except for one tree. And, uh, and they were in the kind of this honeymoon sort of state. They were in the blissful, like dating state, like Twitter paid it. They were in Disney love in a sense, right up until they partook of the fruit. And then at a certain point, after they partook of the fruit, there was a fall. And when that fall happened, they were kicked out of the garden, out of this blissful state. They were basically dumped on their heads 
and they were thrown into what was called the lone and dreary world. And the lone and dreary world had been developed by a higher power, by God, and God had included in the lone and dreary world things like thorns and thistles and disease and pestilence. And in the scriptures, it says, for their sake. And I wonder if we actually view that in our marriages very often, that we end up in this blissful state. We have our own fall. Some of us have a very, have a, quite a few falls throughout the course of our long marriages. And every time there's a fall, we in essence are kicked out of the blissful state that we're living in and we're dumped on our heads and we've got thorns and thistles to torment us. And as we learn to deal with the torments of those thorns and thistles, as we strive together, as we work together, as we pass through sorrow together, as we struggle together, if that struggle happens, and if both of us learn to give our 100%, it actually transforms us into a new place. We actually become new in our marriage. And instead of living from this place of pure Twitter patient, we grow into a place of loyalty and commitment and this depth of like understanding each other and intimacy because we know each other and we've seen each other in all of the different phases and lights of, of what life has to offer us. And if we'll, we'll navigate those things with our hundred percent, that love becomes a much more deep and committed love that we can continue to work on with the passion and the Twitter patient, but it becomes more consummate. It becomes more full. And so if we view those things and we view our relationships as this opportunity for growth, there is no greater growth that we're going to be able to gain than what our spouse can reflect back to us as we work through things over the years. And so if we could view marriage as this transformative thing, instead of this thing that we're supposed to jump into and make the other person make us happy all the time, we we just by changing the way we look at it, we can actually experience more depth, more happiness, more contentedness in our marriage. The very flaws that you're criticizing your spouse over might be the mirror image of what you need to be seeing as to why it bugs you so much. They may be a gift to you. It may be an opportunity for you to look at yourself and say, hey, there's some things here that I can do on my 100%. So hopefully that's helpful for you. Really, really good question. It's about personal accountability. Our happiness is always within the reach of our ability to see things differently. Uh, I think I missed the fourth piece of what you have an option to do. So yeah, you can maybe change it, change how you feel about it, accept it. And the last one is you can just stay miserable. But remember that if you choose that, that's still a choice, which means you're accountable, um, which some people don't like to hear, but is actually really empowering if you think about it. So second question today, this is a really simple, small question. And it was just typed, how do I help an adult child? And the child is put in quotes, who basically has a failure to launch. And uh, this is a really, really tough question. I, I, it would be really nice if we had a little bit more context to go off of here, just because there's so many other factors that could be going on here. But in essence, I get this question a lot with parents who come in and they've got a child who has kind of maybe gone out of the house for a month or two and tried to do their own thing, but then they end up coming back. It reminds me of a song by AJR. You guys can look it up if you want called 
don't throw out my Legos. And it's basically this idea where this kid's having a chance to try to leave the house, but he's telling his mom and dad to keep the Legos around because he's not sure if he wants to totally leave yet. He wants to get out and be on his own, but he also doesn't, he's not sure if he wants to actually leave. And I think a lot of times what we see is, is we see, you know, these younger people, they're in a transitional place in their life, right? There's a lot of factors going on. The transition itself can be stressful. It can cause depression. It can cause anxiety. There can be other mental health problems that are going on. And most parents are thinking, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that I set my kid up to not, to not fail, right? We all want to do that. Every one of us as parents wants our kids to be extremely successful. And sometimes we can offer resources to our children and they take advantage of that. And, you know, they stay home and they work and they start to provide for themselves and then they kind of grow out of it. And, you know, that's what we would all hope for as parents. But sometimes we provide all of those things and the launch doesn't happen. And then a parent's stuck because now they're stuck between a couple of feelings. And this is the most common thing that I hear in parents who have children who are, are kind of like having a slower period or a failure to launch is, you know, they'll go to a therapist or they'll go to a friend and what do their therapist and friends say is set some boundaries and move them out. Right. And on one hand, that makes sense. Right. Like as a parent, you're, you're like, okay, yeah, I need to set some boundaries. My, my kid needs to grow into it. Like I need to give them the opportunity to go and learn and grow and things like that. Um, but then the other side of it for a parent is often this feeling of guilt and a feeling of fear. That's like, I'm letting my child down if I do that, or I'm a bad parent if I actually kick them out of the house or, you know, encourage them to move on. And, and then there's a third part of this, which is that somehow we as parents feel like we're failing if we see our children have any type of struggle. And so any of that pain that happens in their lives is some type of a reflection on us as parents. And we can't tolerate that. And in a sense, we're kind of being selfish and making their lives more about us than it is about them. Uh, even though a lot of us don't want to admit that that's pretty common for us as parents, because we're so invested, we put a lot of time and energy into these kids and and so when we don't see them succeed, somehow the world has made it be a reflection on us as parents instead of let it just be, hey, this is part of life. And so you're stuck between this rock and a hard spot where how hard do I push to try to help things move, to try to help facilitate adulthood, so to speak? And how much leverage do I have with them living in my own house, but they're also adults and need to make their own choices? And can I tolerate my own feelings and allow my child to maybe experience some pain in the growth process that they're experiencing. So there's a lot of factors that go into it, you know, and so I don't know what the situation is with the person who, who typed in the question, but you know, if there's big, massive mental health issues, that's going to look a little different than maybe a parent who's got a child who just really hasn't been exposed to the ability to fail and grow much and needs a chance to go do that. And so the answer won't be, uniform across the board, but principally speaking, there's a few things that you can think about as you approach, you know, your relationship with your adult child. The first one is, is this idea that there needs to be accountability and responsibility for everybody who's involved here. And so as a parent, you have the ability to leave some of the accountability and choice in the court of your child. And you can do that at any level right? You could say, Hey, 
we're here to help you. And as long as you're working and you have a job and you're, you're able to, you know, start saving money to go do what you're going to do. We're happy to provide that right up to, Hey, it's been a really long time that you've been here. There hasn't been a lot of change and there seems to be a lot of time spent on video games and there, there hasn't been any work or, or job. So we're here to help, but the only way we'll help is if you have a job. And so in the next 30 days, if you haven't gotten something, then you can find some, someone else to stay with one of your friends or something. That sounds harsh. It's not necessarily harsh if you've done it with the right heart. Um, all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is I can't handle my own guilt. So give me your cell phone bill and I'll buy your car and I'll pay for the car insurance and you can stay home and just let me know what video game you want next week and I'll pick it up for you and enjoy the basement. Um, now you guys can hear that. Maybe there's two ends of the spectrum and for each child somewhere in the middle is probably more of an accurate place to start looking at, but can I set boundaries? Can I speak the truth? Can I also approach those children from a place of love and sincere care? And this is the hard part is, is that maybe the best way for me to care for my child is to set aside my own guilt and allow them an opportunity to have some failure, allow them an opportunity to grow and give them the gift that in essence, if we're going back to it being biblical, that God did to Adam and Eve when he kicked them out of the garden, they'll figure it out. There's a, there's a term in therapy that we were taught when I was going to therapy school that says that therapists often do something to their clients that isn't healthy for them. And the term that they used is called fragilizing. And as they would always be told, don't fragilize your client. And what that means is don't treat your client as if they're fragile. Don't treat them as if they're more fragile than they actually are. Your clients are resourceful. They've been living these hard lives. They've had to learn how to survive over time. They have coping mechanisms, even though some of them aren't necessarily healthy all the time. Don't treat your clients like they're fragile. Well, the same thing is true with kids. Kids are born into this world with an instant level of resiliency. I mean, just think about what the process is of coming into the world, right? Having your head smashed for several hours before you come out into this new place that's different and foreign and cold and everything else. And, you know, we're kind of built, we're hardwired for struggle. We as human beings were built that way. Yeah, we, we're, we're, we're much more resilient than we give ourselves and other people credit for. And so sometimes the best thing that I can do to help enable somebody to become better, and I shouldn't even use the word enable because that's got like a negative connotation in our world, but to, to truly help somebody give an opportunity to become better is to provide the structure for them that can help them be successful, but demand that they make their own choices and have accountability. And if you start making their choices for them, if you start doing the things that they can do for themselves and should do for themselves, that's going to actually inhibit and hamper your child later on. And this starts maybe even earlier than a 21 year old living in your basement. This might start with a sixth grader who comes home and says, man, my teacher said something mean to me today. And what are we going to do as parents? Are we going to march down to the school and ream, ream out the principal and threaten a lawsuit and demand that the teacher gets fired? Or are we going to sit down with our children and understand how they feel and coach them through an approach that they might take with their teacher the next day. And then the next day when they come home, ask how the approach went and coach them through how they're going to handle things, knowing that we can always step in at a, at a higher level of structure if we need to, 
but to give our children the opportunity to grow into what it means to handle conflict, right? It happens early. We get those opportunities everywhere. We should be looking for places where there's struggle. And instead of stepping in and dropping the umbrella of protection over our children, we should be holding the umbrella out where they can back into it if they really need it, but be pushing them into those places where they can struggle, but struggle at a level where their struggle will be learning and growing and then coming back to you where you can then be with them, showing them love and admiration and coaching and help. And those principles are the things that we're looking for. Can you love your children, but can you leave the accountability in their court? So hopefully that's helpful for you. I know that we could probably, I'm sure we'll do other podcast episodes on this and I'm sure Brandon would probably have a lot of other great things to say about it, but thank you guys for listening. We've been receiving a lot of feedback from people on, on what we're doing and we always want more feedback. If you have feedback for us, please feel free to contact us through any of the channels that you, that you have right now uh, on the Spotify or on Apple tunes or you can also look up brandonpatrick.com or you can go to lovestrong.com and there's a place to post contacts and, and questions and things. So hope you guys are having awesome holidays, managing your amazing family situations. I know that that's always fun during the holiday season. It can be challenging and a real blessing. And I hope you're finding a lot of peace and joy and you guys have a great week. Mm-hmm.